This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform designed for and by outdoorsmen. Go Wild is a place to connect with other outdoorsmen, find fishing and hunting tips and tactics, and you can even research and buy your gear. Join hundreds of thousands of other hunters, fishermen, and outdoorsmen and experience what this community is all about. Download it today at DownloadGoWild.com. Check out Dogs Are Treat at DogsAreTreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartree.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Hey, Houndsman XP fans, we are back on the podcast with Cleve Dwyer, and we are continuing the uh, the lion hunting saga, and And I brought in some heavy guns with me. Somebody actually can, can talk about this thing with some experience besides Cleve and uh, Shorty. Shorty Gorham is on the podcast, so here we go. How's it going, guys? And it's great. I'm glad to be here. I've been listening to them, missing out, and uh, glad to glad to be able to join in on this one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, going good. Glad to be back. Yeah. So, uh, Cleve, you you've done it. You've done a great job. You sent me more amazing notes and different things, and I'm I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you again and and let you run with this thing and and talk about. But I think the main thing we want to talk about is uh 
finding kills and then sorting out tracks around those kills on this particular chapter of uh, of your your uh, podcast here. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and kick it to you and say, go for it, man. All right. Yeah. Well, well, it's your podcast. I'm just a guest. So <laughs> this is your show. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. I'd kind of like to reiterate on some of the points I went over in the first podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> if possible. There were some that I didn't get to really touch on. Recap that, for, you know, just recap what we talked about in the last podcast. And, and yeah. as you go through that, I'll look up uh, which episode that actually was is a couple of weeks ago, but just go ahead and recap and cover the things that you think you need to, to go more in depth on. Okay. Um, I think we talked quite a bit about um, reading mountain lion scat, the contents of the scat, say uh, quite a bit of say hair and meat in the scat will indicate you got a pretty fresh kill someplace close by or close uh, somewhere in, somewhere in there you, you got a lion there you know mm-hmm. and uh, and then if you got a lot of bone in that scat then there's a good chance he's towards the end of his kill and he might be moving to another area to look for another kill um, on on that same thing we I didn't get to talk a whole lot about um, mountain lions eating grass sometimes in between kills I've noticed we've noticed that they will eat some grass in between kills and I don't know if that cleans them out I think it cleans them out or something but sometimes you'll see where they're passing uh, strands of grass in their scat mm-hmm. and uh, so if you see that then you, you got a, a good idea that he's he's in between kills as well let me ask you this why is why have you spent so much time you know, working on, I mean, looking at mountain lion crap and, you know, trying to figure out why mountain lions are eating this or eating that. And once you, once you go into that, I'm curious. I don't know. I guess to, the more you learn about them, the better you have a chance at catching them, but it's, it's one of those things you start, you start studying them and, and it's intriguing to see every single one of their habits. And sometimes those are, you know, Sometimes those are helpful and sometimes they don't help you all that much, but um, we've kind of just noticed things over the years and made pretty good notes of it. And then when you notice it again and you notice that it becomes a habit for most mountain lions and then, you know, it's, it's something to go by. So I don't know. It's, it just seems to help you quite a bit on reading a mountain lion and getting a feel for him. If you will, the more you know about him, what he's been doing the last 10 days will give you a good idea of what he's going to be doing in, in the next four or five days mm-hmm. per se. So, um, I know, I know it sounds kind of crazy to be paying attention to mountain lion crap, but, um, oh, if, if you know, if you know what he's eating, then you, you know where he's going. So exactly. Yeah. So. Shorty, you got something? No, well, I, you know, he's, he's right. And so for me, if, if I trail a lion and I don't catch him today, my the end of my day, while I'm still in, in the in the swing of things, is, is planning for tomorrow. You know, like okay, what's what what's this lion doing? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? How am I going to catch him tomorrow? And by reading that scat, a lot of times you can tell, just like you're saying, you know, if there's if there's bone in it, if there's grass in it, are they are they 
uh, if there's meat in it or the beginning of the kill or the, the end of the kill. If, it, if there's no bones, if it's all meat and stuff, okay, and I'm planning for tomorrow, I'm going to plan that the lion's probably going to come back to this kill. If there's bones and grass in it and he's at the end of that kill, I need to go look where's this lion going next. So, yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot to be said about looking at at scat and and trying to figure out what what his next move is by by what you saw out of that scat. So no, I I, I totally agree. There's not a scat pile that I go by that I don't stop, get off my mule and look at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to kind of lay that out there and and talk about why it's so important to know the game. That we're hunting. It's not just about turning a dog loose. It's not just turning like. Right. I mean, you guys, you guys are mountain lion experts, <laughs> and we're trying to make other people increase knowledge here. So, you can go never for it, be too Curious. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. 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 You can never have too much knowledge, and sometimes I've I've noticed that what is I don't know what would what you would think is, you know, written in stone in one area, you'd go to another region and that might just be a hypothesis. You know, it just be, might be a theory because you go to another region and mountain lions have different habits for different regions. Some of them share the same exact habits. Some regions are totally different. And uh, I guess we, we'll get into that later on in this podcast maybe, but, but uh, I guess one thing I was wanting to uh really capitalize on is is uh is maybe can just reinforce that point is to look at that scat like like shorty is saying you know you you can really figure out what a lion is going to be doing in the next few days if uh if you can see what he's been eating now and what he's been doing you know yeah and we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Cleve, this is the third time you've been on our podcast talking about lion hunting. And uh, if anybody hasn't heard the first two, I think they probably ought to go back and listen to those. That would have been episode 116. And then uh, again, in episode 122, tons of valuable knowledge in there. Kind of give you everybody an opportunity to to get to know who you are, Cleve, and, and hear those first two before we, we go into this thing. So we're trying to progress through some of this stuff because i think it's valuable the way you've got it laid out so that's where i'm at and uh let's get right back into it about talking about uh you know scat and and why we need to 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 be paying attention to some of that stuff but go for it please yeah 
another point I was wanting to make is besides scat, um, if, if you st start, st start seeing a lot of lion scratches and then tom scratches are pretty distinct, if he's making a lot of scratches there, some of them will have scat in them, some of them won't. But if he's making a pile of them, I mean, two or three underneath this tree and he walks up the trail or up the two-tack road or canyon another 50, 60 yards and makes another one or two, start looking around because you probably got, got a lion kill someplace close by. And when you do start looking around, you don't want to look for birds. And I got it broke down into three different regions. There's different bird behavior, different bird species for different regions. Well, before and, we get uh, there, before we get there, so a lion will make two or three scratches under a tree. It's not different lions coming in there and making scratches beside another tom or a lion's scratch. No, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. So it's it's oftentimes it's not different lions coming in there. So if you say maybe three or four scratches in a quarter mile area one might be under this tree right next to the road another one might be maybe two or three hundred yards off the road and there might be two or three scratches underneath another another tree further up that that tom's going to make scratches and i uh i think what they do and some other really good lion hunters have kind of told me this as well they'll make them scratches to let a female know that they got a kill there that uh, female, she can read those scratches. So she comes into those scratches. She's she knows what those scratches mean more than we would, you know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're more intuitive than than we are to that. So she'll start hunting up a, up a kill or hunting up that tom, and uh, that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good indication you got a kill. That's pay dirt if you got a bunch of scratches in a small area. Now, in a small area, I mean, maybe maybe quarter mile wide by three quarters of a mile long. You, if you got half a dozen scratches or 10 or 12 scratches in an area that, that size, there's a good chance you got to, got a kill there. And at that point, you're going to want to start looking for birds. And, uh, and those birds can really tip you off and let you know what, what, where a mountain lion scratch or a mountain lion kill might be or, right. Or, or whatever, you know, and, those and scratches, you've got this, you've got this the first down by You've got it broke down by regions of the country? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah let's hear it, man. Places we've hunted and uh, things we've experienced. So there might be somebody on here that says, oh, I don't agree with that, but it's not written in stone, but these are some things that we've experienced in different regions. So if you are, if you're hunting in say Colorado and the Rocky mountains, the, the birds you want to be, you're, you're going to want to be looking for are magpies. And for some people that don't know what bagpies are, they're, they're a bird about maybe, I don't know, almost twice the size of a robin. They got a long tail. They're black and white, and they're, they're about half human. They're intelligent. They're an Oreo and, crow. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> they're black and white, and, and uh, most of the time they flock in, in groups of anywhere from 2 to 12. Most, time, most of the time they're under a half a dozen in a group. And once they find a kill, whether it's a lion kill, coyote kill, road kill, you know, gut pile from an elk hunter, deer hunter or something, typically those birds will take turns on watch so that you might have four or five that are feeding on that gut pile or that lion kill or coyote kill. And there's typically, typically be one that 
sits up on a branch and he he watches guard. He'll kind of hop back and forth on one branch to the next. And he, it's almost like he's just about half schizophrenic, kind of just looking around, making sure another predator isn't coming in from the sky or from the ground to whack his buddies while they have their dinner, you know? Yeah. And pretty soon it's going to be his turn and somebody else will take, take guard, you know, they'll, they'll take the shift to watch guard. And so if you're going up a Canyon or in an area where there's most likely a kill, you see a lot of magpies, keep an eye on them. And, uh, if there's one hopping around up on a branch and, you drive by and the other one's bust up, there's a good chance you got you got a kill there, especially if, if an eagle flies up. If an eagle flies up and busts out of there, that's pay dirt. That's take that to the bank. You you got something something dead over there. And then you go investigate it. So uh sometimes you'll be unsure. So say if you're driving up a canyon or riding up a canyon. And you don't go check it out on your way back. Pay attention. If they're in the exact same spot, there's a good chance you got a kill there. Mm-hmm. Head on over there and check it out. So what all regions of, of the West have you hunted lions in? Just so we know. Um, hunted uh, Colorado and the Rocky Mountains, which would be uh, Western Colorado and Eastern Utah and the Book Cliff region. We've hunted, uh, Western Utah and, and all of Nevada, which would be the Great Basin region, but the but Colorado and, and the Book Cliff region that's kind of more or less part of the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. And then you get out to the to Nevada, that's a little that's a little bit different line, a little bit different habits. And then you go down to Central Arizona, down in the Sonoran Desert, that's a that's a different line there, different habits as as well. So three three different regions. Okay. Yeah, and you've seen. So, you, go ahead, Shorty. So where there's where there's magpies, Cleve, do you do you think, in my experience, like you know, of all the birds, the magpies are probably the first ones to find a kill. Um, do you, do you agree with that? And in, in your, it's different in this area. We don't have magpies in this area. It would be the care care would be the first one to find the kill, but. But in those regions, you find that the magpie finds it better than the crows and the ravens and, and the those are. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll find it before anybody, and then the bigger birds come in and they're obviously more dominant, so they take over, and then they'll have they'll have preference over or you know precedence over that kill versus the magpies because they're smaller. But yeah, exactly. The, the magpies they're they're always the first on the scene first on the crime scene so uh, that's in the rocky mountain region you get out here to the great basin once you get north of say i-70 or highway 50 you get into into more magpie country south of that down to southern nevada they don't have hardly any magpies at all so it's rare to have them down there so you got to go a little bit more by crows and ravens there but if you're hunting northern nevada Southern Idaho, Northern Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. Yeah, it's it's good to check on them magpies. Those are those are surefire sign you gotta gotta kill if they're all congregated right there. You said Cleve, you said there were three different regions and you saw bird activity that was different. So tell us the difference between like 
you know, the eastern slope of Colorado, maybe the western slope of Colorado, Great Basin, and then Sedona or Sonora. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, the you want me to go just go back over all that? Well, did I miss it while I was getting a buckskin? Is that what I did? Um, I don't know. Ask Shorty. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> I, well, I guess Shorty's not there next to you, so never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you, may, you may have. You may have. But there's there's three there's three regions. So the yep. birds to to keep an eye on, and the Rocky Mountains would be magpies, and then crows. That there's a decent indication, but crows and and uh, eagles are second, but magpies are first. Okay. But um, and th then you go to the Great Basin. We got out. We got uh. Uh, quite a few magpies in northern part of the Great Basin, not southern part of the Great Basin. This would be, oh, e I don't know, eastern Nevada, western Utah, pretty much all of Nevada, southern Idaho. That's uh, that's all part of the Great Basin. But when you get down in the southern part of the Great Basin, you'll have magpies. So you got to go born by crows. So if you're hunting southern Nevada, all that stuff, maybe into Arizona, if you see a bunch of crows fly up, that's not always that's not always the best indication, but if you see crows fly up and then just immediately afterwards, you see an Eagle fly up, you, you better go check it out because that Eagle, he's, you know, he's, he's the top of the food chain. He's, he's a wolf in the sky. He, he's the boss. So them crows will be standing around, sitting around waiting for him to finish eating. Then they'll go eat when he's done, he flies off. But if you just see a bunch of crows or Ravens fly up, that's not the best indication that there's a kill there because in the wintertime, crows and ravens will feed a lot on pinion pine nuts. And uh, they'll they'll congregate just like they're on a kill, but they, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit different. Once you start paying attention to it, you'll, you'll notice it's different, but they don't, they're not sticky to it like they they would be on a kill. They're, they're not committed to coming back to that same spot. If you drive through and them crows and ravens fly up, they can find another place of pine nuts just as good as the place they're they're eating on you know um but if you come back through there and the crows and ravens are on it then there's a decent chance there's there's uh there's a kill there but but most of the time if i've been driving by and i see crows and ravens fly up and i don't see an eagle fly up maybe honk my horn if i'm a pickup truck honk my horn or something and if the re an eagle don't fly up i keep driving because most time that eagle, he watches them birds just the same as we do. And mm -hmm. he's, he'll watch them crows and stuff. And so, yeah, they, they got something to eat over there. Then he goes over there and he bullies them out of there. They ain't going to fight him, you know, right. He'll whoop on them. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a good indication. And I have a lot of clients that come out hunting from back East and they say, Oh, I just seen a bunch of birds fly up. I think that'd be maybe mountain lion killed a deer or something. I said, no, I don't think so. Why not? I said, there's no eagle flew, flew up and there's a pile of eagles out here. And when I say eagles, not, not uh, bald eagles so much, mostly G gold eagles. Golden. Yeah. 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 Every now and then we'll get a bald eagle here, but not much. So we just sit there and sometimes it takes maybe 20 seconds for them to fly up. Cause sometimes them eagles, if they're eating on a deer or horse or something, a lot of flesh there, he can, he can belly up a lot of meat and, He's he's like a B fifty two bomber loaded down with a bunch of tanks or something, you know. He he has trouble getting off the ground, so it takes a little bit for him to get off the off the ground, getting in the air. So just wait there, maybe twenty seconds, and 
honk your horn a time or two and he don't fly up and you probably don't have a lion kill or don't have a dead deer there anyhow. Right. 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 So good information, man. And that's, those are the kind of pearls of wisdom that, that I think are valuable for a person that says, Hey, I want to be a lion hunter. And, and even if you just want to come out and be a client for, for your outfit or, or go lion hunting, maybe a DIY hunt, some, some, some things that, that guys can start looking at. Well, and yeah. too, if those crows and ravens are, are coming off of those pinions and, and you're running low on sunflower seeds, go over there because those, uh, those pinions are, they're ripe. And if you've never ate them, I prefer them to sunflower seeds. So I will go over there and scavenge off of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what else you got for us, Cleve? Um, let's see. I was uh, looking at my notes here a little bit ago. So you've talked about, you've talked about, you know, what to look for, for birds flying up and, and things like that. Last podcast, we talked about where to look. Now we're, we're in the right area. Now we're looking for the nuances of, of birds flying up and things like that. So we go over, we see birds fly up An Eagle came off of it. We go over there, we, we look, Hey man, this looks like this could be a, an Eagle kill. So what are we looking, what are we looking for to determine to make sure that this was an Eagle kill versus a mountain lion, or I'm sorry, a coyote. Let me back up. How do we no. determine that this was a lion kill versus a coyote kill or a wolf kill even? Exactly. <clears throat> so when a mountain lion makes a kill, he's, he's pretty neat about it, but he's real clean about it compared to most predators. He's going to bite, he's going to bite through the rib cage, eat the heart and liver and lungs. And then he's not really going to tear it up bad. And then maybe that that'd be the first feeding, the second feeding, second time he comes in, maybe 12 hours later, 24 hours later, he's going to come in and he's going to feed off the hind quarter or the front quarter. If it's in, in the great basin area or say Colorado, Rocky mountains, Colorado, most of the time they feed off the front quarter. So what off one of the shoulders, that'd be their second feeding. And then sometimes a neck meat, but if it's in like the deserts of uh, Sonora down in central Arizona, those lines will typically start feeding off the hind quarter. That'd be their second feeding. So uh, that's something to think about. If, what do you think? Whatever that is? Region. Why, why, why the difference? I mean, you got the same. I, think they're, I don't know. I think they're just different lines and they have a little bit different habits. I don't, I don't know why, but um, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard telling, but, uh, but they definitely a, have a little bit different habits. Do you think there's a possibility that it could be a like a geographical we, – we kind of get into this with the uh, last podcast we did or a couple weeks ago about nature versus nurture. If the la- if a if a female has been raised eating off the front shoulder after she goes into the rib cage for a second feeding, now she's training those kittens and they do it different. I don't know. I mean, it's a mystery to me why that would happen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's hard to tell why why there's such a difference between regions, and, that, and that's not saying the lions up north don't eat off the hind quarter on the second feeding, but on average, what we've noticed over the years, their second feeding will be okay. 
and then down down in the snore desert that's that's opposite they'll they'll feed off that that hindquarter first or they're off their not hindquarter for their second their second feeding but um oftentimes those lines will they'll keep that that kill nice and clean and then if there's cover available they'll they'll drag it up underneath the cedar tree or pinion tree or pine tree someplace where they feel like it's secure and that a big tom will drag it further than say a little 70 pound female because he's stronger you know of course he can drag it where he wants but if they have the choice they'll drag it to where it's it's secluded and, and it's not really visible from the sky you know so birds can't see as well and they'll cover it up versus coyotes if it's a coyote kill they'll get in there and they just they just scatter it they tear the guts out and everything and they just, it looks like a, a deer hair bomb went off when when coyotes get in there but there's a difference in how coyotes kill versus lions kill as well so um mountain lion he he's gonna bite on the throat or on the back of the neck to that's gonna be the the killing bite you know that that kills that that animal if it's a big buck most of the time they go for the throat because they don't want to have to contend with those horns and antlers but if um but if it's a doe or a small buck, we've seen where they'll they'll bite them right on the back of the neck, you know, right at the base of the skull where the spinal cord is, and and drop them. Sometimes it's it's a quick death, and sometimes it's sometimes it's a war. You can see where mm-hmm. they they've thrashed around and fought, and deer gets back up, and you see the lion pounces on him again and drags him down, and it's like man, that that lion is having hell killing that deer or that elk, and sometimes it's it's quick death, so it can vary. And sometimes it can vary between the size of the lion and the size of the game. You know, you got an 80 pound female, she's going to have a harder time killing a 600 pound bull elk than, than 140 or 160 pound Tom. Mm-hmm. But, um, but coyotes, when coyotes kill, say a deer or domestic sheep or calf or something, if there's two coyotes or more, one coyote's going to bite on the, on the throat. He's going to latch onto that throat. The other coyote or two is going to flank him, and most time they they flank him and drag him down, and they start ripping the guts out first. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they'll tear them guts out of that animal before the animal's dead, and then they string them intestines all over, and it's it's kind of a mess. They don't do a real good job of butchering. Mm. I will say that. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's the difference. Is you know as you as you describe this, it's brutal. And yeah. that's okay. We need we need to talk about the brutal part because I think the non-hunting public and, and the anti-hunting public especially wants to paint this picture of this utopian environment out there where all these animals live in harmony. And it's brutal. And we're going to talk about the brutal parts. I'm not, a, not ashamed that you, you described it just like you did because hopefully – Hopefully some some person that, that doesn't know anything about wildlife or hunting listens to this podcast and is like, holy cow, you know, I never thought about it being a violent, brutal death like that. Yeah, and I can tell you, if I was going to be killed by by animals, I would much rather be killed by a lion than coyotes. It's uh it's like like he like he described it, it's messy, you know, and and so you like your lions um if if you're confused and you're not sure what killed something get your knife out go up go up through the head 
Um, I like to go up through the back of the head, back of the neck with a knife and skin down, skin down around the, the head and the neck, but skin real close to the skin and almost like it, as if you're going to put up a pelt and look at those marks and, and you'll see like a lion uh, when they get hold of you with their claws, that's that's another thing. And this is going to be further back, but people will send me pictures of stuff with with scratch marks going down or whatever. And, and those, if you look at the shape of the lion's claw, it's like a thing anchor. You know, when they go in, they go in and they grab. They hold very seldom do they pull out, so they get a good hold. But then when they bite, they're going to bite, and it might take them a bite or two. To, to get where they want to be but then when they do they're they put the pressure on and, and oftentimes they'll put a hole in the skin not always when they do though it's going to be like a 30 caliber uh hole so if you're confused skin it out like skin skin that neck and head out and and see what it is or see if you find holes if you find just a couple 30 caliber holes, like in the, like he's saying, in the, in the back of the neck or, or in the throat region, probably a lion. If, if you're seeing a bunch of bruising, and this is a coyote deal, the coyotes will grab like in that jowl area. And, and, and if you've ever seen a dog like bite something and then they're hanging on and they, and then all of a sudden, boom, they take another bite and they, and they, it's like a reset and they, they keep doing that. That, that's what you'll see. You'll see bruising in that jowl area, the throat area, um, or, or you'll see a little bit of chewing on the ears. Uh, that's probably a, a coyote, but I will say if I had to be killed by one, it's, it's a hell of a lot cleaner deal and quicker deal to be killed by a lion. But, but the word that you use, Cleve, um, messy versus neat, that's exactly how I've always described it. And I, I've never heard anybody else describe it that way. But a, a lion kill is real neat compared to a, a coyote kill. When I see a coyote kill or, or a canine kill and somebody shows me and, and they're like, is this a lion? I'm like, no, that's, that, that's too messy. You know, so very good description. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good that's a good idea to to put put that in there to skin that out because that's that's a really good point. You know, if it's a lion kill, you're gonna see those those large canine punctures and it's going to be precise instead of a whole pile of them, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I never, I never thought about mentioning that, but good thinking. Heck yeah. So, um, we've discovered that we've, we've, we've made all the discoveries here. We've looked at the kill. We've seen the birds decided it's a mountain lion track. Now we've got this. I mean, even if it's a mountain lion track, you don't just have, you don't just have mountain lion tracks around it. You know, you could have eagle tracks. You could have magpie tracks. You could have coyote tracks. Take us through that. Sorting out that that mess of tracks around that kill. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. 
easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. So if you if you got tracks going all directions and you're having a hard time deciphering which one is the freshest track to go on, assess them, say, okay, this one, the tracks keep going back towards, say, the south. There's a decent chance that's where that line's laying up, you know. If he keeps going back there, there's more tracks going back to the south, but not as many coming from the south. He might be coming into that kill from a different direction, just whatever the way the wind's blowing, he might be wanting to go downwind of it just to see right. if he's got a coyote right. or something else on that kill. So oftentimes when they come back to that kill, they'll come from east to west and north to south, but he might be going back to his bed and there's a good chance he's probably going to be bedding pretty close to the same spot. Do coyotes so really pose that much of a threat to them to, to be worried about them? No, I think, I think them, them lions come to that kill cause they catch that coyote on there and that coyote is eating on that kill. That lion's going to kill that coyote. I've, we found four or five coyotes over the years that have been killed by lions that were caught eating on lion kill. So, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We and we'll, we'll we'll touch on that later, but right now we're I guess we'll stay to the hound dog stuff. So look at those tracks, and if there's most of those tracks are leaving that kill and going in one direction, put your dog your dogs on that that part of that track. Say if you got eight dogs, there's no sense putting eight dogs on that part of the track. Put four of those dogs on that part of the track. Let them lock in on it. That's what I like to do. Lock in on it, and then take the other four or five and make a big circle out around that kill maybe a quarter mile half mile away from that kill and there's a good chance you might find the other fresh part of that track but when you drop two sets of dogs on there if you have the luxury of doing that 
especially with GPS these days, you can track all your dogs and you see what everybody's doing. Get those other set of dogs, maybe on another track. Somebody's going to sort something out. Sometimes what happens is those four dogs you put on that track will split. So now you got that track is split into two tracks. That's fine. And let them trail, take them other dogs, your other pack and go out and try to find a track coming out of there from the other end. If you find what you think is a good track coming out of that other end, put them dogs on it. Sometimes they'll be going to water. Sometimes they'll be bed in one spot and then they'll, if it's, there's no crusted snow or even good snow on the ground, they don't like crusted snow as they do like fresh snow. But if there's patches of snow, sometimes they won't go to water, but if there's no snow at all. They'll go, they'll go maybe a mile or two to water to get a drink. And that might be the track that you, you're on a trail because he might be going to water at that time. Mm-hmm. so if i have the luxury of it i'll i'll drop two packs so uh even even a broken clock is right twice a day so <laughs> so uh it works That's sometimes right. you, sometimes you get oh, yeah. scattered dogs but uh it, it works if you got the luxury of having enough dogs there do that and that's really good um oh sorry about that what's that shorty go ahead no i i, I love what you're saying and if you're worried about it, having dogs scattered the thing about a kill is they're gonna base off of that kill so even if they go on a on an old track they're gonna go out so far to where that line laid up they're gonna trailer it trail it might be the same track or a different track right back into there and it just goes like a like a star so your dogs are never yep. really going to get too far away from you, so don't don't be too worried about it. Just just turn them loose and let them work. Exactly, and like, yeah, totally. Because it, like Shorty said, it's going to be a maze, and most time it's going to be like a big star, you know, like look like a big old starfish right there. Let them dogs trail, and before you know it, somebody's going to find him. And most of the time, it seems like the one that does line it out isn't going to be one of your real cold nosed dogs. It's going to be your free up dog, the one that. That, that ranges out a little bit further and and he's probably a little smarter than other dogs might not be as intense of a trailer that's that's the dog you want to be watching on your gps that's the one that's going to bite the lion on the ass and put him in a tree and at, on that same point kills are a perfect opportunity to let young dogs get a lot of trailing experience i mean there's so much lion scent to trail it doesn't matter if they're trailing the wrong lion wrong part of the lion track they're getting trailing. That's what it counts. That's what counts. That's what it's all about, you know? So just let, uh, let them dogs trail. And sometimes you have a pup that's going the wrong direction or something. Sometimes he's the one that runs into the line and you're like, how the hell did that happen? But you get a big old Tom in a tree and you're like, I'm glad it did, you know? So, um, it's, it's just such a great opportunity to let young dogs trail lions and they're right there and you get to listen to them. And sometimes you just sit there on the hillside and listen to dogs tree and or trail until they tree and, Sometimes they don't trade all. Sometimes they trail all day and you don't catch them, but it's, it's good training. So, so please. So like, and I, I totally understand exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, whatever. Um, but if you've got for the listeners, like, okay, you got dogs working a track and say you got four, four dogs working a track or however many dogs you got working track. How do you go about getting these other dogs to go work a track in, in another direction? Are you trying to get out of, out of those dogs' 
voice range. How do you how do you get those dogs to go to go? Uh, how do you go about doing that for somebody that's never done it before? Yep, good point. So if you're on if you're on mule, say if you got eight dogs and you want to hold four dogs back, that could be tough. But because um, you're always going to have a bunch that want to fall in. But if you can maybe tone a couple of them back. Same as maybe some of the easier handling dogs, the ones that honor you a little bit more. They're not as hard headed. Tone them back and keep them with you. And when they go to go to those other dogs, tone them just a little bit. Keep them right there until the other dogs get out of ear earshot. Sometimes if if I'm in a canyon, say if I'm I don't have mule or something, say if you're hunting off out of a pickup truck or side by side, dump four dogs on there. Let them first four lock in on that track, the ones that are trailing the track right off the kill drive up to the, to the canyon maybe go to the spring because that that fresh track might be right off that spring and to and and just go right there to where those that second string of dogs can't hear the first ones and that could be tough but um if, if you have the luxury of doing that 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 works pretty good because that way you're not putting all your eggs in one basket but it can be it can be tif- difficult at times but if uh, if you can do it that, yeah, that works good and even then, don't be surprised if all your dogs end up in the same water because that track, those tracks are just, they're going to come and going to come and going to come. It's, it's hard to get out of a kill. Exactly. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Had that happen too. You think, okay, I'm, I think I got them separated and they all right. fall back to the same way. And, and most of the time when they do go, all go back to the same way, that's when you get the line caught. And I don't know if the dogs are, yeah. If they can hear that, great. Sometimes you think, man, that dog can't hear where the crap, but I don't know if they're clairvoyant or what they are, but they can they can sense where they need to go. So, Hey, everybody, this is a great place to break this two-part podcast up, and Cleve is going to be back with us, and we're going to go into more about evaluating track skills and how we can up our skills as houndsmen and lion hunters. So until next time, folks. You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine.